I'm going to preach a good sermon today. And I'm going to help people by making faith practical. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. So if you're saying to yourself, probably a lot of these people over here, if you're saying to yourself, surely that weird intro, it means something, it's going to have something powerful to do with today's message, well, you obviously have never seen me preach before, so welcome. It's good to have you here. <laughs> My name is Matt Paddock. I'm actually a teaching pastor here at Relevant. Who are you? Who are you? Like, seems like a pretty simple question to answer, really. A question that most of us should be able to answer with little to no real thought at all. Kind of like this. Hey, I'm Matt. I work for a pretty awesome church in, Rel- in Elkhorn called Relevant. Uh, I've been married to my wife for uh, 24 awesome years. I've got four kids, two dogs. I like to do woodworking projects and work out and play golf in my spare time. That's who I am. But we all know. We all know all I really have to do is change my tone. Just change my tone just a little bit to, no, 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 no. Who are you? And all of a sudden you're like, dude, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm quite ready to go that deep with you because we just met. Uh, We just met and and, and now we're talking about identity stuff. And for me, for me, my my identity, when I I look into the mirror, I see a broken self-image. It's filled with shame and anxiety and depression and fear and brokenness. I'm fine I'm fine sharing with you the stuff that you can see on the outside, the simple stuff, but who I am, and if I'm being real too, I, I, don't, I don't even really know who I am, which is true for so many of us. Because for us, our, our identity, it goes far, far deeper than what can be observed from the outside. Far deeper than what you can see on the outside, true identity who we truly are is given to us. Who we truly are is bestowed upon us by our creator. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, the the apostle Paul, he actually tells us, you're a new creation. The old is gone, all that brokenness, the hurt, the shame, it's all gone. And, And the new has come and it's all from God. All of it, all the new is from God. You have a God-given soul-level identity. But, follower of Jesus, do you know who you are? Well, if not, y'all about to learn something today. Right, we're going we're gonna to look at some stuff. Like the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is, what he came to do for you is so much bigger than you could even imagine. Over the, over the next five weeks, we're going to look at that gospel from all kinds of different angles. You might have an idea of what you thought the gospel was, but hopefully by the end of these five weeks, you see it's far bigger, far greater, far more beautiful than you could have ever imagined. That's what we're going to be talking about over these next five weeks. Today, identity, the, the writers of Scripture, they're going to unpack this idea of identity, that the kind of who and the what that we are on, what I'm going to call three different levels, if you will. 
Level three, kind of start at the bottom, is specific identity. It's kind of the deepest level of identity. This is what actually happens when we put our faith in Jesus. When we make the decision to, to follow Jesus, to ask him to be the leader of our life and the Lord of our life and the forgiver of our sins, that's specific identity. It, it's the new creation stuff that, that we just read about. Specific identity is actually weeks two through five. Specific identity is actually determined by what we do with today. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about specific identity. That's, that's the next few weeks, and I'm super excited about that. But today, let's talk about level one. Level one is kind of this base level, foundation, first rung of the ladder, pretty simple, easy for us to wrap our minds around. You're a human being. Yeah, you're a human being. You've been made in the image of God. And somehow, someway, you're distinct amongst creation. Looking around the room, that's what I see. You're a human being. You're a human being. You're a human being. Not so sure about you. <laughs> you're a human being. That's what we've got in the room. Unless you've got Bootsy, your Chihuahua, kind of in your purse, that's all we got. We got a lot of the image of God in this room today. And it's such an important piece of identity. It is the foundational level. Every human being, regardless of race and color and gender, every human being is equal in regards to dignity, value, and respect. Equal in dignity, value, and respect. And as a follower of Jesus, this aspect of identity, it should be the foundation. It should be the foundation and the filter through which we look at everything going on in our world today. That's the first level. Uh, the second level where we're going to spend most of our time today is, is what I'm calling general identity. General identity. General identity is given to you by God. And it has everything to do with what you do, what you decide to do with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. See, your general identity. Everyone in here has one. It's actually only one of two things. You might have thought there were all kinds of identities, right? I mean, you know all kinds of different people who have different types of identities. But the truth is our true gut level, uh, soul level identity is given to us by God. And it's one of two things. You are either a child of God. And that's our tension. That's our tension. That word should freak you out. That word should cause something inside of you. There should be something stirring right now. What does that word mean? This isn't easy, but it's true. Everyone in here, everyone watching online, you're created by God. But not everyone is a child of God. Two different ideas. We're all God's creatures, it's true. We're all God's children, is not true. You're a child of God, or you're a child of wrath. And I realize modern sensibilities, we're all so smart now. Like, that doesn't sit well with us. So let me take a moment and explain that for you. The, the child of wrath, I didn't come up with it, by the way. If throughout this sermon you realize, oh, geez, that, that might be me. What it really means to be a child of wrath is that you've decided. Not God decided, you. You, you decided that you make a better God than God. You make a better God than God. You've said, 
my desires, what I want, what I need, they are of top priority for me, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if there's a God. I don't care if there's a creator. I'm going to do what I want to do. And lucky for you, or maybe not so lucky for you, God's response is he's accommodating for you. In fact, Paul actually tells us that God will turn you over to do what ought not be done. It's what you wanted. So if you're thinking, child of wrath, why are you so judgy? I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you at all. This is what Jesus came to save you from. But still, at any point, today or any day, you can choose, I can choose to say, hey, I'm a better God than God. I'm smarter. I've got this whole thing figured out. But please, don't for a moment feel lonely or picked on, as we're going to see in just a moment. We've all done it. We've all, at one time or another, we've placed ourselves on the throne of our lives. We said, we've got this figured out. We're gonna, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't need you, God. And we've set ourselves up in direct contrast to the creator of the world, making us all, every single one of us, at one time or another, children worthy, children deserving of his wrath. And that's, that's general identity. My interest of today is that when you leave here, you have a clear understanding of this overarching, am I a child of God or am I not? Think about general identity as kind of the first button on your shirt, right? You get this first button right, you got a shot. (laughs) Right? You get this first button wrong and it's not going good for you. I mean, could you guys actually stand to sit and watch me preach with my, with my shirt all messed up? And I had a thought this morning. I'm like, you know, I'm talking about it being the first button. For Pastor Ronnie, it's probably the third button because he can't, he can't get to, to that first button. I mean, you put on a shirt before. You know how, Nobody gets the third button wrong. You got to get the first button. So general identity, child of God, child of wrath, it, it's all about this first button Specific identity, what we're going to talk about weeks two through five, it's all about what happens with general identity. It's all about what happens with this first button. So so how do we get the first button right? Well, we'll get to that in in just a moment. We're actually going to dive into a first century letter written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, He followed, uh, he he went on these missionary journeys and he ended up planting a church uh, in a town called Ephesus. And so he wrote this letter to them way after that he had been there to, to kind of teach them more about how to follow Jesus. We're going to look at that letter in just a moment. But, but first, why do so many of us get it wrong? Like that's, that's an important question. Well, I, I read this book by author uh, Trevin Wax. Uh, rethink yourself, not rethink yourself, rethink yourself. If you like to read, it's a great book. Uh, it's pretty low level, but talking about some pretty big ideas when it comes to identity. Much of this series, much of this sermon came from this book and came from a sermon series that I watched by a guy named Matt Chandler, who I love. Uh, so that's where a lot of this content comes from. But Trevin, he kind of breaks down the predominant way that you and I answer the question. The predominant way that you and I figure out who and what I am. It's a framework that for most of us, if not all of us, we've been marked by that fra- this framework at some point. At one point or another in our lives, our identity would have been formed 
by this idea. And he describes it this way. Looking in, looking around, and then looking up. Looking in, looking around, and then looking up. What am I? What, what am I? Who am I? How, how do I define myself? Well, the first thing is, is I look inside. And, and then once I figured out what's inside of me, I, I, I look around and I discover what's around. And lastly, I look up. See, this way of discovering your identity, it requires that you look inside yourself. It requires that you look inside yourself to find your own deepest desires. And we've seen it, right? I mean, Gallup tells us this. They show us that 91% of Americans agree with this statement, that the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. So here's what we do. We look inside ourselves. We dig around. We find, hey, what do I, what do I want? What are my desires, right? What's going to make me happy? And then we look around. And we look around and we find who else is going to celebrate that in me? Who else is going to believe that truth about me? Who's going to affirm that in me? Who's going to come around and help me with this? Then, hey, once we have that, I'm not opposed to spirituality. I'm not opposed to spirituality at all. I just have to look around to find a spirituality that makes this work. That's all I have to do. I've got real deep desires, real deep things that I want to be what defines who I am. And so I find a group of people. I find a group of people who share those same desires and I create my own little community. And if by chance, if by chance we still feel a little empty, we can just go find the right spirituality to fit within that, kind of sprinkle it on top. A little salt, a little pepper. This is the prevailing view of our age. And everyone, everyone is constantly being manipulated and assaulted by this ideology. You can have it all. You do you. You go with your gut, man. And the entire system... Everything in our culture is set up to pull you and push you in this direction. Do you know that you touch your phone 2,600 times a day? I'd tell you to Google it, but then it'd be 2,601 and that'd be my fault. I can't be, <laughs> it's not my fault. So I'll give you, I'll give you some grace. I'll give you that a few hundred of those is checking texts and emails and your calendar. So let's say this, that means that 2,400 times a day, you're grabbing your phone so it can tell you how awesome you are. So you go, oh, look how right I am. Look how everything I believe is actually right and true. Look how great of a God I am. Because look, look, look at what I know to be true is true because all these other people, they say the same thing. The algorithm is designed to show you how great of a God you are. Nearly every Disney cartoon is telling you the same thing. The Little Mermaid got some of y'all. She did. Arrow got some of you. You didn't see it coming. You were too busy. You had no idea. Here's what it's saying. Forget what your daddy says. Forget what your people want. Forget what your people need. It's all about you, sister. You go get those legs. You go get them. You didn't see it coming. And this is the mantra of our day. You be you. You go live your best life now. Just go follow your heart. You look inside yourself 
and you find what you want most deeply, and then you go get it. And there are a million, there are a million different issues with this framework. You've experienced them. I've experienced them. But I'll give you two. The first one is this. The whole thing depends on you. For this whole thing to work, you have to make it work. To keep it going, you have to keep it going. If you've been trying to get your mind around why everyone in the world is freaking out all the time, why they're always so angry, why they're always so anxious and sad and depressed, it's happening because of this. Here's why. If, if I look into myself to find my deepest desires and decide that those desires are what, the only thing that's going to shape my identity, they eventually shape my personhood. They become who I am. And then if you disagree with me, you disagree with my desires, you're actually attacking me as a person. You're assaulting my personhood. If you decide that your deepest desires is this sexual identity or this political identity, and I say to you simply, nicely even, hey, man, I don't know if that's what God really wants for you. Or if I say, hey, if you keep going down that path, I think it's going to hurt you. Now all of a sudden I'm an oppressor. I'm not simply disagreeing with an idea. I'm not simply disagreeing with a view or your desires or your beliefs. I'm attacking you as a human. And everything we're watching and everything we're listening to and what we see on our phones is you, you, you. And if you're a teenager, if you're a teenager, you're being bombarded with this every single day. I'm not overstating this, that if you grab your phone, this is what it's telling you. The algorithm is designed to tell you that you're right, that you're good, to go get yours, to trust your heart, to you do you, live your best life. And this has left us lonely. It's left us angry and frustrated and depressed and no one can see it coming. Because we're too busy following after our own heart and our own desires to our own demise. The second major issue with this framework is that our desires are deceptive. I mean, we're friends, right? We can be honest with each other so we can talk. Do you even really know what you want? Do, do you even know what you want? I mean, I, I'll ask this question. It's kind of rhetorical. I do know the answer to it. Anyone ever looked inside and found competing desires? Like, Two separate desires that can't happen at the same time. They're constantly at war and battling against each other. I have deep desires for abs. <laughs> and I have an equally, if not greater, desire for pizza. And they can't happen. <laughs> They're constantly fighting against each other. You can't have both. How about this? We all know this one too. Have you ever had that time in your life where, where you thought, man, if I could just get this, if I could just have that house, if I could just get that car, if I could get the job, if I could find the relationship, and then you found it and found out it was a lie. Well, if your identity is based on your desires, what do you do then? Well, you just you dig back in and try and figure out the next thing, the next thing that you're going to give your life to. The great lie, the great lie is pursue what you want most and you can have it all. Let me free you from something this morning. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can't have it all. 
And so breathe, right? I mean, some of y'all are trying so hard and it's left you anxious and stressed and burnt out because you believe the lie that you can have everything you want and you can't have everything you want. So, so how am I really supposed to form my identity? How am I supposed to figure out who I really am? Based on my own desires, and my own desires are deceptive, and, and they're constantly at war with each, other, with each other. How am I supposed to do that? Well, spoiler alert, you're not supposed to do that. You were never meant to try to do that. You see, because you're not self-defined. You're God-defined. And so this entire framework of look in, look around, look up, it isn't going to answer your deepest questions of who you are. It's never going to get you there. The way God intended to answer this question, the way that I believe leads to the life that you're so hungry for, is to just look up. It's to just look up. And the in and the around, that, that'll take care of itself. But remember, it's all about, it's all about this first button. Just, just, just look up. Let me show you why I think that. I mentioned earlier we were going to look at this letter, this first century letter by a guy named Paul that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. And here's what we learn in Ephesians 2, or in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. The first things that we learn is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and that we are following the course of this world. And then this is the best part. Pay attention to this because it, it ties so deeply with that framework that we were just discussing he says this, we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. See, I told you I didn't make it up. It's right there. Like the rest of mankind. Do you see what happened right there? Did you pick up on it? I mean, Paul is actually arguing that, that to look in, to find your deepest desires, the, the desires of your own body and your own mind, which we've all done, We've all done it. And then to live out of that desire, let that desire define your identity based on that desire, which we've all done. This, this is what makes you a child of wrath. And I would actually argue that, that this makes you more like an untrained animal than a human. That to go with your gut to trust your desires to you to you makes you more like an untrained dog who digs in the trash and runs and can't obey, but yet he's fully immersed by his own compulsions and his own desires. Makes you more like that than the image bearer you are. And let me be clear here. I'm not throwing any stones. I'm not judging anyone or throwing stones. Paul tells us, and I don't need him to tell me because I remember that we all, we all once lived in those passions. We all once defined ourselves. We, we all once lived trying to satisfy our own desires and really look around, right? I mean, can't you see the animalistic nature of humanity in our society? I mean, you see the brokenness and the anger and the violence and the rage. And it's because we're acting more like animals, driven by our compulsions, than we are acting like the image bearers. That we are. That's what happens when you look in and self-define. And then in verse 4, there's this awesome, insanely powerful three-letter word, but. 
But God, but God, when we were children of wrath, when we were following our own desires, when we were trying to create and define our own identity, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. See, there's this, this transfer that happens right there. You're not going to be an animal anymore. You're, you're not going to live by your own compulsions. You're not going to be a child of wrath. I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to make you alive in Christ. And then, then Paul clarifies the process through which that happens. He says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So how are we rescued? How are we rescued from living by our desires? How are we rescued from going with our heart? By being self-defined in the earlier framework. Well, we're made alive. We're made alive, but how, how are we made alive? How are we made into a child of God? Well, there's two things. And this is where we completely demolish that entire other framework. It is by grace through faith. It is by grace through faith. If you are a child of God, this is how you became a child of God. If you're not yet a child of God, this is how you become a child of God, by grace through faith. But there's two kind of qualifiers for how this grace through faith thing kind of works. The first one is this, it, it's not done through human initiative. Paul says it right here, this is not of your own doing. Which means you're not saved because you took the journey inward. You didn't look down into your heart, you didn't go inward and then decide one day, oh, I know what to do. I, I know what to do. I need to give authority to something outside of myself and then follow that external power. That's not what you did. God gave you grace. God gave you the grace to believe and you took a step of faith. And even that faith given to you by God. And it's that process, it's that that begins the process of sonship and daughtership. So it's not just of our own initiative, meaning it's not about looking in. What he says next is not about works. So, so it's not about looking around. Meaning this isn't just you looking around trying to figure out how we're supposed to act and then trying to act that way. Like maybe you're just putting on child of God clothes. And you're looking around like, hey, what are we supposed to wear? How are we supposed to talk? How are we supposed to act? And then trying to act that way thinking that that would be enough. No, that's not how salvation works. You don't find salvation by looking in your, inside yourself. And you don't earn salvation by looking around and mimicking the actions of others. That's not how it works. That's not how you become a child of God. So if it's not by your own initiative or by your works, then it must be something given to us by God. Ultimately, you're not self-created. You're God-created. You're not self-defined. That work is way too big for you. 
You're defined by your creator. You did not create yourself. And if you buy into the pressure to try and cultivate yourself and your own identity, to project the right image of yourself based on the desires and the pressure of the world around you, you're going to be anxious. It's a promise. You're going to get angry. You're going to feel lonely because it's a work far too great for you. You are not self-defined. You are God-defined. And I love what we see in 1 John where it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So you are. Here's what you can't ever take from me. I'm a child of God. My wife, Holly, she could leave me. Please don't leave me. (laughs) I'm a child of God. My my kids, they could hate me. I'm a child of God. The economy could collapse. I'm a child of God. I could lose my job. I'm not defined by this. I'm not defined by preaching and teaching. I'm not defined by what I do. I'm a child of God. It could all be taken from me. I'm a child of God and that was given to me. I didn't do that. I didn't find that. I didn't earn that. I didn't figure it out. I didn't learn how to project it. In fact, my projection of it's probably pretty bad most of the time. But what God has said about me, what is most true about me, is that I was dead. Now I'm alive. That I was dead and I was a child of wrath. And by placing my faith in Jesus, by grace through faith, I am made alive. And now I am a child of, a child of God. And despite my past, and Lord knows, despite my present, and despite what's coming for me in the future, I'm a child of God. And he is for me and he's not against me. And there's no condemnation for me. And his grace is sufficient for me. Let's look at how Paul kind of ends this little passage that we've been reading in verse 10. He says this, for we are his workmanship. Which the, the same word that was translated workmanship is actually the same word translated to poem. <laughs> for we are God's poetry. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, what kind of good works? Well, not fleshly good works. Let me look in and figure out what works are inside of me and then I'll go do them. Not look around type of good works. Let me see what the good works are that other people are doing. I'll just try and do those. No, the good works that are born of Christ Jesus in me. What is my sonship? What is the Holy Spirit living inside of me, lead me to do in regards to good works. This is not a salvation thing. I I don't do good works to become a child of God. I am a child of God and he works in me and he grows me and he transforms me. And by grace through faith, good works become part of who I am. And then he finishes with which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm make this little statement for you. I hope it sticks with you. As a child of God, for those who have put their faith in Jesus and been saved by grace through faith. Here's what that verse 
is saying, and it's so cool. You were made for the day, and the day was made for you. You were made for the day, and the day was made for you. You were made for the day, and God's workmanship in advance. In fact, earlier in Ephesians 1, we'd actually see before the foundation of the earth was laid, God wasn't just waiting around for your parents to hook up and then see, oh, what I got to work with. No, before the foundation of the world, you, you for the day and the day for you, this changes everything. That means that on the Monday, Tuesday of my life, I was made for the day and the day was made for me. When I wake up tomorrow morning, I was made for the day and the day was made for me. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you were made for the day and the day was made for you. Child of God, this should bust you out of simply being a spectator. This should change your life. There's not a word in there about pastors. There's not a word in there about paid staff. You, God made you, you are God's workmanship. You for the day and the day for you. Jesus prepared you to do good works and he has created those days, good works for you so that you were made for the day and the day was made for you. So let me ask you a question. Who are you? Going back to our attention from way earlier, you're either a child of God or a child of wrath. If you are a child of God, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have experienced the beauty of this grace through faith transition, here's what I need from you. Here's what I need you to do today and going forward. Nothing. I don't need nothing. See, you didn't do anything to become a child of God. And you don't do anything to remain a child of God. Remember, you're not self-defined. You're God-defined. But please, let me, let me plead with you. Don't for a moment pretend like the pull of that first framework isn't on your life all the time. That the pull for us to look back inside ourselves and to say to God, I'm a better God than you are. I'm going to figure out what I want and do what I want. That pull is on your life all the time. It's the moment that you think it's not, that you get taken out. Don't pretend like it's not there. If after hearing all of this, you're concluding maybe to yourself, man, I wouldn't, wouldn't really use those words. It's kind of mean, but I mean, I, I think I might fall in that child of wrath category. Man, I want to show you something. I want to show you something that maybe you didn't see earlier. But, but I really want to point it out to you now. We saw it back in Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were. So I don't know what God's doing in your heart. But I want you to know this, that he loves you. <laughs> he loves you. Like right now. Right now. Right where you are. At this point in your life. Even if you're sitting on the throne of your life saying, no, I'm going to figure this out myself. He loves you. 
He, he doesn't love you when this happens or after that happens. No, he, he loves you. I don't have some huge next step for you to take this week either. But let me say this, if, if in any way, if any way you feel something stirring inside of you, that, that you might actually think, man, I might, I might actually have some desire to know him. I, I think I might, I might want to know what it means to follow him. I, I want this thought to kind of blow your mind. If you're thinking that thought, that thought was given to you by God. You didn't muster that up. You didn't figure that out. If that's stirring in your heart right now, God has put that on you. He has bestowed that upon you. If grace by faith is the pathway, which it is, to go from child of wrath to a child of God, it requires grace through faith, that's putting our faith in Jesus and then being transformed into a child of God. If that is the path, this is, that's exactly how this works. That there's a small seed of grace that the grace of God gave you such a small seed, regardless of the amount of belief that you have, whatever you have given to you by God, all you need is that small step of faith to go with it. And so if you leave here today and you're like, just grab a friend of yours who follows Jesus and say, hey, can you read some of this with me? Can we just sit down and maybe read one of the Gospels? I don't even know what those are. What are the Gospels? Can we read one? Like, just say it. And then what's going to happen is that God's going to build that faith. And as he builds that faith, he's going to give you more grace. And as he gives you more grace, you're going to take another step of faith and that's going to grow. And before you know it, you've placed your faith in him and you're no longer a child of wrath. You are now a child of God and your forever is different. In that moment, your forever is different. It's the first button. It's the first button. We got to get the first button right. Would you pray with me? If you're here with us or you're watching online and, and I was just speaking to you in those last few moments, like you just feel something going on, you, you don't really know what it is, man, I, I just, I challenge you to dig into that. If you, if you have a desire to put your faith in Jesus, to go from a child of wrath to a child of God this morning, you can do it in a moment. But, but I want you to do it from this framework if you can. I want you to start with the fact that you believe and understand and know that he loves you. That he loves you. John 3.16, we all know, we've all seen it. For God so loved the world. And then, then we say, Jesus, you pray this with me, say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know I need a Savior. Would you be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life? And here's what's crazy. If you prayed that prayer with me, in that moment, your forever is different. Nothing is the same for you. You have the opportunity, you're going to experience so much more from Jesus than you could have ever imagined. Your forever is different in that moment. God, we're so grateful for the gift of your grace. We're grateful for the gift of faith. God, would you help lead us and guide us? Help us know how to walk in more power and in more belief of the identity that you have bestowed upon us. 
Love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.